0: Okay, so if you guys are watching online, you didn't hear the, oh, that, is that, that, uh, that emotion is probably going to be making its way north in the car on the way home. So please be in prayer for, for them as they are heading back this direction. Okay, uh, if you have right around you, you should have a little piece of paper that has the reading plan. Get that, pick that up, hold it up. Good, good. Okay, you will notice that uh, we are starting a new series starting this coming week through the book of Ecclesiastes. So, uh, so you can start that new reading plan today. Uh, we are not in Ecclesiastes today, but, uh, but that will be for this next week. So be watching, uh, be working through the book of Ecclesiastes, and we will uh, start that next week. Okay. So we're going to be doing things a little bit different this morning uh, because you see Isaac is to my left. Isaac is our uh, student ministry leader, and he is going to be sharing some things. uh, Well, all three of us, uh, Sam and myself and Isaac are going to be sharing today. Uh, he's gonna be, Isaac's going to be sharing some things that he have been working through uh, in student ministry and with the young adult group that he leads. But before we get to uh, Isaac, how many of you guys have had someone wreck something of yours that was really important to you? Yes. Can you remember the face of the person that wrecked your stuff? Yes, you can. Yes. I remember it was 1983, and I had, uh, at, at our house where we used to live, we had a disattached garage, and it was a low garage. And we had a basketball hoop. It was a basketball backboard that was on the side of the garage. When we moved in, there was a backboard up, but there was no rim. Because the rim was inside the garage, backboard was on the garage. So I had been had this wonderful TV station called ESPN that we just yeah mm-hmm. just came on, and I was watching this guy play uh, play for the University of North Carolina named Michael Jordan, and I, yes, I hear the mm, that's what we did in school whenever he would come on, and oh my gosh, I was this. For those of you who never got to watch this guy play for real, I'm sorry. You did not you didn't get to see poetry in motion. And I wanted to do the things that he did. Couldn't grow facial hair at the time. So, and I couldn't shave my head at the time. But I could put that basketball hoop up and I could start doing things, try to do things like he did. Well, there were some kids in the neighborhood, and I wanted to get a, ba- a basketball game going at my house because I've been practicing Michael Jordan dunks. And so I got, so there's about five or six of us. We were together, we were playing. We got, and so our basketball hoop was up for about a week. And I had this kid, and I won't say his name, I could tell you his name, but I'm not going to say it because that's going to cause a problem for the rest of my sermon because then that's called slander, and we're told not to do that. So I won't say his name. I want to. So we were playing along. We were 10 minutes into the game, and he reaches up, and he dunked the ball and tore the rim off of the backboard. I was furious because I was not, I'm not a handy person, and I figured out how to put a basketball hoop up Attach it to the backboard. After he tore it off, there was no attaching it. The backboard was now destroyed. I remember, and I will probably remember that feeling because I wanted so badly to provide a place for my friends to play basketball. I even had, remember the, like the little rubber basketballs that you could like palm and dunk with? And, and that's what I had. We were playing with that and he reached up and he just tore it right off. As we were talking about, we're, uh, today we're going to be in the book of Jude. So if you've got your Bibles, you can go ahead and start uh, opening up to the book of Jude. Uh, it is a really small book uh, right before we get to Revelation. And as we are looking through this, the book of Jude was written to a church that had some people involved in the church that were causing damage to the people that were, uh, that were the attenders in the church. And as I was thinking about this book of Jude, I immediately went to this basketball hoop because this was something that was so important to me. And there's a reason why... There's a a really good reason why God had the book of Jude included into the Bible because God feels very strongly against people who come into a church and teach things that are false. God doesn't like to have his stuff wrecked. And the stuff that is the most important to God are his people. And God takes it very seriously when false teachers come into a church and start teaching things that are wrong and then hurts his people. In fact, I want to look at, uh, before we get to Jude, I want to look at a very short uh, passage in the book of Matthew chapter, I'll just read it off of there. Uh, Matthew chapter, uh, not Matthew chapter, okay. There it is, yes. Yes. It says this, and this is Jesus speaking. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. Now, do you see how special God views his children? If, we, if, if somebody welcomes a child in God's name, loves that child with the love of God, we are welcoming The presence of God into our lives because we are loving, and that's what God has called us to do. However, go ahead. If anyone causes one of these little ones, uh, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. God loves everybody. God takes this very seriously when we lead other people astray because God is so incredibly in love with, with people who desire to be in relationship with him. When there are those who come alongside and try to lead people astray, he takes this very seriously. And this is Jesus speaking. It would be better for you if you were drowned than to lead someone astray. We have a very heavy responsibility for those of us that that are leaders who have people look up to us because this is how God views our leadership. If we are leading people astray either through our example or through our words, (laughs) not a good place to be. Not a good place. Does that make sense to everyone? Okay. So uh, so today we move into the book of Jude, and this is traditionally uh, thought to uh, have come from uh, a man named Jude who was we who think was, was Jesus' brother who was moved into a missionary type position. So let's take a look at Jude chapter, well, chapter one, it's the only chapter in Jude, uh, and let's start, uh, let's start making our way through Jude chapter one. It says, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who have been called who are loved by God the Father and kept by Jesus Christ, mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt I had to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. All right, we're gonna stop here for a second. This idea of contending for the faith, this is a very important phrase that he uses because this idea of contending for the faith has to do with keeping what is true and speaking what is true and calling out what is not. Now, for those of us who are who choose to take that seriously, who who does it say that this has been? Um, who who has this responsibility been given to? We are God's people. It is our responsibility to pay attention to what people say. If people come into this church and they start speaking things that are incorrect and are wrong, whose job is it to call them out? It is all of our, it's not just the pastors, it's not just the staff, it's not just the ministry leaders. It is our responsibility to call those people out because those people who are teaching what is wrong have, a, have the opportunity to lead other people astray and to get them believing the wrong thing which can cause all kinds of problems for, for people. So we are God's holy people. If, you, if we have accepted Jesus into our life, we are God's holy people. This is our responsibility, all of us, our responsibility. Okay, let's keep going. For certain, yes, so this is your first fill in the blank. <laughs> Contending for the faith is telling the truth. yes. Yes, this is why I don't run the slides because I just get lost. Okay, what's that? Yes, I am blaming you. Okay. For certain men whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are godless men who change the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. Okay. This is a very interesting uh, which was very interesting to me. They have secretly slipped in among you. The Greek term there is uh, it has the, the, the thought process of they crept in and they settled in alongside of us. These are men and women who have made their way into a church body, probably built some friendships, built some relationships with people who go there. They have become a part of that church. And so, because they have become a part of that church, now they are an influencer. People are listening to them. Okay, so because they've done this, we need to understand what qualifies this person as being a godless person. I think it's, didn't it say... Ungodly or godless? Wasn't that in there? Yeah, ungodly people. So what? What? Uh, what qualifies them as being ungodly people? Well, he says that um, that they are that they are sexually immoral. They have chosen not to base their sexuality on God's design, which is one woman, one man in marriage. That's the only way that sexuality is supposed to be lived out. When people choose not to choose not to teach others or influence others that that is what sexuality is about, they are living in immorality. And when they start teaching that to their kids, to other people's kids, to each other, they are now functioning as a false prophet. Because they are teaching others what is wrong. And so, what he says is they have, uh, how do I say that? They have a license, they have blah, 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 godless men who change the grace of God. They change the grace of our God into a license for immorality. That might be the person that says, well, I know it's wrong, but I know I shouldn't do it, but eh, it's all right. It's not that big a deal. I'm not hurting anybody. You are. Because you're living what is wrong. And you are modeling what is wrong to people around you. And this is a big deal. Because then he goes on to say they also deny Jesus Christ as our only sovereign and Lord. Sovereign means we don't get to say no, God's sovereignty is. He is all-powerful. He is all-knowing. He gets to make the rules. We don't get to make our own rules if we are going to live in obedience to him. So, if I am going to accept Jesus Christ as my sovereign Lord, I am going to obey what he says even if I don't necessarily want to because I am now treating him as Lord. I can't say Jesus is Lord and then say no. I can't say Jesus is my Lord and then make up my own rules. I don't get to do that. If Jesus is my sovereign Lord, then what he says is right and wrong, that has to be what I say is right and wrong. And that's how I have to choose to live. Does this make sense? Okay, okay. So, so so he goes on. Though you already know all this, I want to remind you that one Lord delivered delivered his people out of Egypt, but later destroyed those who did not believe. The angels who did not keep their positions of authority, but abandoned their own home, these has kept these He has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. In a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. For people who choose to not live under God's economy and choose to make their own decisions, what did it say happens to them? punishment. That's right. That is the result of us choosing to live outside of a relationship with God and make our own rules. We don't get to do that. Even angels who chose to disobey God, they deal with that as well. So it's not, just, it's not just us. Okay. In the very same way, these dreamers pollute their own bodies, reject authority, and slander celestial beings. But even the Archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not dare to bring a slanderous accusation against him, but said, The Lord rebuke you. Yet these men speak abusively against whatever they do not understand, and what things they do understand by instinct, like unreasoning animals, these are the very things that destroy them. Slander is a, is a big deal to God. Speaking negatively about others in front of others is a big deal to God. This is wrong. I really wanted to say that kid's name. <laughs> that would be slander. And I can't do that in front of a, a group of other people. There's a really interesting podcast. If you're a podcast listener, check out The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill talks about uh, what happens when uh, church leaders go off the rails and start making their own rules. Really interesting podcast. Okay. Woe to them! They They have taken the way of Cain. They have rushed for profit into Balaam's error. They have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. These men are blemishes at your love feasts, eating with you without the slightest qualm. Am I? Yeah. What's that? I'm going too fast? It was him. It wasn't me. Okay. The next fill in the blank. What qualifies these leaders as ungodly men? They speak abusively about things they don't understand. That's the slander stuff. Okay. Now see if you can figure out where, you, where we were at. Um, okay, Good. Uh, the slice qualms, shepherds who feed only themselves, they are clouds without rain blown along by the wind, autumn trees without fruit and uprooted, twice dead, they are wild waves of the sea foaming up their shame, wandering stars for whom blackest darkness has uh, has been reserved forever. Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men. See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to convict all the ungodly of all the ungodly acts they have done in the ungodly way and all of these harsh words. Here's the word ungodly a lot. Again, God really takes this seriously, what we believe and what we speak out loud. He really takes this seriously. uh, harsh words ungodly sinners have spoken against him these men are grumblers and fault finders they follow their own evil desires they boast about themselves and they flatter others for their own advantage okay so the next fill in the blank is what qualifies these leaders as ungodly men they are grumblers they are fault finders and they are boastful they operate by their own selfish desires So where do we find these godless men and women? They make their way into local churches. They're on television. They're on the radio and podcasts. They write books. They're probably interested in building up their own brand, their own personality, their own kingdom. They're more interested in being noticed. And whose responsibility is it to recognize who these people are? It is our responsibility to recognize who these people are. Now, there's a way that we can learn how to recognize these people. So at this point, Isaac is going to pick up and share about
1: what that, how to do that. Thank you. Um, hello, my name is Isaac Franks. Uh, like uh, Pastor Jim said, um, I lead the high school and middle school Uh, ministries. Uh, Right now, I'm doing, like, a little aside thing where, like, I do some background stories. So, like, you know, uh, Emperor's New Groove, when Cusco comes out and takes a red marker, writes on the screen. You know what I'm talking about? So, I was told I cannot do that. (laughs) Correct. So, I will not. Um, But... So, in our youth group, we're doing a lot of what we do normally up here. We'll, we'll, we will jump into a book of the Bible, we'll read it top to bottom, and, and teach through that. We just recently finished First uh, and Second Peter, and Second Peter talks a lot about these false teachers and false, um, false prophets that Jude is talking about. I also lead our young adult group that meets on Monday nights, and we just finished reading through 1 John. And 1 John also talks a lot about these false teachers and antichrists. Um, So I would like to share just some of the things that we've been learning um, in those two groups. But first of all, so I asked our students if they knew what, if they knew this term, aggressive mimicry, if they've ever heard of what that means. So I'm gonna ask you, have you ever heard have you ever heard of aggressive mimicry? Nope. So it's in the animal kingdom. We're not talking about aggressive mimes. So like the... <laughs> aggressive mimicry um, in the animal kingdom. So I got a definition here. I don't know if there's a next slide. Okay, good. So aggressive mimicry is a form of mimicry in which predators, parasites, or parasitoids share similar signals using a harmless model, allowing them to avoid being correctly identified by their prey or host. Aggressive mimicry often involves the predator employing signals which draw its potential prey towards it, a strategy which allows predators to simply sit and wait for prey to come to them. The promise of food or sex are commonly used lures. However, this, not need, to be, this need not be the case as long as the predator's true identity is concealed, it may be able to approach prey more easily than would otherwise be the case. So, I shared some examples that we I shared some examples to the youth group, and so I have a couple pictures. They're ugly. So this is the first one is an alligator snapping turtle. This thing is ugly, um, but you can see in its mouth. You can if you can see his tongue. So, it's tongue is right here, this little pink thing. So, what this alligator snapping turtle does is that it will lay at the bottom of the lake with its mouth open and it wiggles its tongue and it looks like a worm. So, as it's just sitting down at the bottom of the lake, wiggles its tongue, fish will swim into its mouth to get the tongue and all it has to do is close its mouth. Which, if I could ever have some pizza just float in my mouth, (laughs) it'd be pretty convenient. Um, But, yeah, but it's not... Anyways. The next example is a spider, so brace yourself if you're scared of spiders. Um, So this is called, at least I think it's called, uh, a golden orb weave spider. And what this spider does is that it, you see the little, like, Zigzag thing on the web. So I don't know how this works, but somehow this gives off the same ultraviolet light that flowers do, so that when bugs are flying around looking for flowers, it gives off the same kind of light, and so it will try and land on it thinking that it's a flower. Um, and it's not, and then they get eaten. Um, <laughs> but so what we talked about in the youth group. Is um, how to identify these things. So whenever we look at the snapping turtle, we cannot identify its dung as a worm because it's not a worm. Um, and when we see the spider web, we cannot say that the spider web is a flower because it's not a flower, even though these things look like what they're mimicking, they're not. Um, so as as humans, we know that, those, that that alligator snapping turtle's tongue is not a worm because we can see the turtle. And we see that the spider web is not a flower because we see it as a spider web. So in, oh, this is my point. This is my, oh no. <laughs> Why I don't use, I'm clicking. Oh, I have to double click. No, triple click. Oh, jeez. Oh, no. <laughs> Okay. Okay. There you go. All right. This is the fill in the blank. So, So in order to spot the fake thing, you need to know the real thing. So, in 2 Peter, the definition of aggressive mimicry is pretty much the same wording that Peter uses to describe false teachers, uh, these false prophets. They wait inside the church, they wait for people to enter into their churches broken, seeking healing, um, and seeking the greatness that is our God, and then they take advantage of them. And so, with the list that Pastor Jim talked about with the sexual immoral, denying Jesus, we can probably also add disturbing to that list, um, because it is not right um, but connecting the passages in 2 Peter, 1 John, and Jude that talk about false prophets, like those sections pretty much just talk about the judgment of false teachers. Um, and when reading this for the students, like that's, that is an application. We can say that reading these things, we're told to not be false prophets. Um, but I saw that there was more of an application in those passages that is for us to read. Um, So starting in 2 Peter, so we're jumping from Jude to 2 Peter. Starting in 2 Peter, Peter says this. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. This is fantastic. And so this is like, we need to take time to let this sit in. Um, I'm going to read it again. But his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. So, this person that is so attractive to us that his own being, just his existence, is what draws us towards him. This person who created the universe and everything in it has chosen to give us everything we need for life and godliness us humans new hope we deserve the opposite of this and yet he chooses to give us he has given us everything we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of him so this word knowledge specifically in the context of knowledge of Jesus Christ is used throughout second peter as a source of protection um, It's, it's crazy how, like, we can be protected from the evils of the world, um, not just false teachers, but everything, by just understanding who Jesus is. Um, because, in this case, Jesus gives us a plain description of all that is real. Um, so, like, through these descriptions, through the Jew descriptions, he shows us what is real um, so that when we run into those fake things, we can easily identify those things. Um, The best way to see this protection thing and the knowledge of Jesus is in the context of false teachers. Um, So, kind of as we sit through people sharing or teaching Jesus to us and we don't actually know anything about the Bible or Jesus, how easy would it be to think that they're speaking truth? If we don't know anything, then you it's very easy to hear something and just say, "I don't know any different." That's probably true. I'm good with that. If I was in, so if I was in middle school and someone came up on stage and started to teach out of the Old Testament book of Gershwin, um, I would have no dif- I would not know. I wouldn't know. I was like, "Okay, I'm just vibing. They're teaching." Um, I wouldn't know that there was not a book in the Old Testament called Gershwin. So it's pretty, pretty self-explanatory um, that if we work to gain a solid, solid knowledge of Jesus, that that would protect us from any teaching that is not Jesus. So this person is teaching that Jesus came as 100% divine and 0% human, so he was basically the original Superman. Um, I've heard that before in college. But since we have read the countless passages about him coming fully in the flesh and fully divine, we would know instantly that is not right. So the more that we read the Bible, the more that we ask God to give us an understanding of him, the more that we know, the more that we would know what is real, and the easier and faster it is to identify what the fake things are. So does that make sense? I feel like it's pretty clear, Um, but uh, Peter takes it further, and he says that he has given us everything needed for life and godliness through the knowledge of him. So it's not just against false teachers, uh, but everything. So whenever we run into problems, hardships, struggles, pains, not just with false teachers, he through our relationship with him, he protects us through those problems, through those hardships, by just by just knowing him, which is crazy. <laughs> I already said that, but it is crazy. He cannot override our will, and he cannot take control of our minds and make us do things, but through taking the time with him to learn about him, just like any relationship, he shows us what, it, he shows us what to watch out for and how to react to things. Because this Bible, this book, is about Jesus, is about God, and not us, he also teaches us how to treat himself. He teaches, he teaches us how to treat others. So the last point, and then we'll move on to Sam. Um, but the difference, there is a difference between um, knowing God and being known by God. Um, I'm sure that we know a lot of people who know a lot about the Bible and yet have zero relationship with God. This knowledge of Jesus isn't just an understanding of the Bible, but an understanding of God. We don't get to know God until, we don't get to know of God until we know God. So it's like a celebrity, um, where you don't really know this person. Um, You see, you like know of him, but you don't really know this person until, but then when you actually meet them, and talk with them, and have conversations and relationship, then you know them, and you're known by them, so if we continue with First Peter, I'm going to skip a couple of passages. Right here. Uh, if we continue in First Peter, it says, For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness. And to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So this knowledge of Jesus is almost a product. Um, So you start with a faith in God and a faith that what this book says is true, and you support that with goodness and knowledge and self-control, endurance, godliness, mutual affection, and finally love. So if you have these things, it's great. But Peter takes it even further and says, if these are building up in you. And so it's a continual growth. It's You continue to seek God. You continue to build that relationship with him. Um, but if all these things are the case, then it says that you will become ineffective and fruitful. You will become effective and fruitful in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus, Jesus Christ and our Father, the creator of everything. Second Peter says, 2 Peter, verse 10. That's 9. Oh, this is a good one. Uh, But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their passions. And then verse 10. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So he doesn't just say like, it's good for you to gain knowledge, but he says that it is your calling and your election to gain knowledge of him to pursue that relationship with him and to make him your savior. So, like mentioned, uh, Jesus wants to protect us by giving the knowledge of him so that we can see what is real and we're not fooled by those things that are fake. And that's all I got. So, I'm handing it over to Sam.
2: Good morning, friends. How are we doing? Good. Good. Hopefully, you all are still awake. Um, I'm super excited to be here. Um, I got some awesome props. We're going to be having some fun. Um, We're blessed to have a diverse church, right? What you're experiencing this morning is a teaching buffet, okay? You're going to get some different flavor. You'll get some different flavor from me, from Jim, from Isaac, Um, So those of you that are newer here or I haven't personally met you, my name is Sam Spence. Uh, I'm an elder in training. I'm on the teaching team, and I'm a financial trustee here. Um, And it's our goal as a teaching team that you will leave here equipped, Um, some application um, is what I'm going to give you all this morning. So after everything we've heard today, do you all feel a tension? Yeah? Good, (laughs) because I feel some tension in what we're reading today. Because what we're seeing in Scripture, we're seeing a war over integrity. And what we're seeing in Jude is the same thing we're seeing today. There is a war, church, over our integrity here in 2022. And we've got this basketball hoop, and this is a friend of ours basketball hoop, so I'm going to try not to destroy it because I think Isaiah and Malachi will be horrified. So when I was a kid, I had a basketball hoop too, okay? It was a regulation size, but the first thing I would do when I got home from school was I would drop that baby to six foot. Who else would do that, right? Yeah, you're, you're getting pumped. Michael Jordan was still around. You know, I'd be slamming the, that ball, doing the tomahawk under the legs, and like all the neighbors were like, he's amazing, right? So I've lowered the standard of the goal because I couldn't dunk on a 10 foot, right? I can barely hit the net on a 10 foot, and that's not impressive. So I was like, ooh, Kobe. Oh, I was, oh thank you, we'll do it again. Yeah, yeah, Michael Jordan. All right, we'll leave that for later. Right, so we're getting pumped. Oh, thank you. (laughs) I could dunk on the six foot goal, it was awesome. But there's a problem. When I went to school and I was playing intramurals, I was horrible because I was used to playing at a lower standard. Could you imagine NBA players playing a full regulation game on this? (laughs) Would it be weird? It would be really weird. You've got eight foot tall dudes like having to bend over and drop it in. (laughs) They're playing at a lower standard. And church, here's our application. We have an enemy that wants us to lower our standards, right? We are called to a 10-foot standard of living. We see it in Scripture. And this is the tension we're talking about today because we have an enemy that lies to you. He says, you can go ahead and steal that. You can take that from your boss. You can lie. You can call in sick when you're not actually sick. You can go home. You can get on the computer or your phone and watch porn for a bit. That's cool. It doesn't hurt anybody. You can embezzle a little bit here, take a little here. The enemy deceits people, he deceits us into living life at a lower standard. We are called to live and contend for a 10-foot goal. And church, if that doesn't scare you, if that doesn't faze you, there is a war for your children. Man, this gets me fired up. The enemy's telling your children it's okay to live at a lower standard. It's okay to do this. It's okay to do that. And church, you see something begins to happen when you start to live life at this lower standard. And this is your first fill in the blank. Because what happens is you limit your capacity and your potential when you're contending or living at a lower standard. So church, that's the tension this morning. Wage war on the enemy this morning, church. Church. Fight for your children. Fight for your family. Contend for the goal at the right height. So let's jump back into Jude. It will be 17 through 21 to start. So it goes on. But dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They're saying, remember. We knew this was going to happen. They said to you, in the last times there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the people who will divide you, like we were talking about earlier. They will trick you, deceit you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the Spirit. That is scary, church. But you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, this is our application, keep yourself in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you out of eternal life. Amen, church? Here's what we got to do, church. It says it right here. If you highlight in your Bible, highlight 20 and 21 for me, please. We have to contend for our faith. And not only contend for our faith, but contend for our faith on the right standards, what we're called to do. The 10-foot goal. Waging war against our flesh, our sinful desires, not in our own abilities, our own strengths, our own righteousness, but in the power of the Holy Spirit. In church, we're going to do this by what we just learned in Jonah. Do you remember this word, grace, mercy? Grace not being a license to sin, grace as an empowerment to win against sin. I don't know about you guys, but but me and my family, we're going to play at a higher standard. We're going to treat people right. We're going to walk in integrity. We're going to forgive, even when it's hard and it sucks. We're going to be crucified in our flesh so we can rise in our spirit. And I hope you do too. So moving on, verse 22 through 23, goes on to say, Be merciful to those who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire. To others, show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. The Church, just says, be merciful to those who are doubting. Be merciful to those that are playing on a lower standard, to non-Christians. In other words, don't push people out of your life that are living at a lower standard. We're called as Christians to reach out and snatch people, snatch each other, God's children from the fire. And if you're newer here or you've been here a while, this is a church for all kinds of people. We're a church filled with sinners. We all sin. And there's always room for one more. That's my favorite saying is we're full of hypocrites and there's always room for one more. But we as a church, we're committing to play and contend at a higher standard than the world does. But we must do so With mercy. And you look at the life of Jesus, he lived on a higher standard. He was contending at a 10 foot goal. But he surrounded himself with people living at a lower standard. The woman at the well, there was no condemnation for her. So why do we do it? It was so radical. Look at Zacchaeus, a socially unacceptable person. He was cheating people out of their money, socially unacceptable. People hated him. And Jesus went to his house. It blew people's minds. We have a person contending for the faith, but loving those that are contending at a lower standard church. Jesus played and was contending at a higher standard, and loved those living at a lower standard. Check the time. Okay, we're doing, we're running a little late, but that's okay. So I think this is where the church gets it wrong a lot of the time. And unfortunately, this is where I've seen a lot of people get hurt. And let me just say, if you've been hurt by the church, if you've been judged or condemned by the church, I am so sorry. Because that's not how it's supposed to be. And they had no right to condemn you. We, we learned earlier, even the Archangel Michael <laughs> avoided slander. Crazy to think about. Now, I'm not saying at New Hope here we're perfect. Like I said earlier, we're a bunch of sinners um, open to more, right? But here we are contending to live at a higher standard. We have leadership here that is on guard for these attacks, So we're trying to contend for the faith as a church body. And again, if you've been hurt by a church in the past, we're sorry. But if you're here today or you're online, let me just say I'm so proud of you. I love you, and it's amazing that you're here today. Because the strength and the courage it took for you to be here, I I, I can't even imagine. Because as we know, church wounds, they cut deep. And if you ever need to talk about something you've experienced in a church or a spiritual wounding, just mark it on your Connect card. Someone will reach out to you this week and schedule something because we want to partner with you. We want to hear your story. So another thing we we see here in this text that some of our modern churches don't do well is this next part. It says, be merciful, saving people by snatching them from the fire. In other words, give it all you got, church. Where is the urgency in our American churches to reach the lost? We cannot risk passivity. We can't risk complacency. We got to save people, church. We have to save them by snatching them from the fire. Where's that urgency? We need to do better, all of us goes on to say mix mercy with fear hating even the clothing stained by corrupt flesh fear and mercy grace and truth this next verse this is first corinthians 13 it might ring a bell it says if i speak the tongues of men and of angels but have no love i am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have, faith, have a faith that can move mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. Let that sink in. If it's not done in love, it's nothing. Grace and mercy, mercy and fear, grace and truth. Church, we are called to live at a higher standard, and in doing so, we begin to walk in victory. And church, I want us to leave here today what it means to walk in victory. And we're actually going to read this together. I'll read this first. So, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, and no, this is, we're going to read this all together. All right? Sound good? This is a calling. Okay, we are coming together. So let's read this together. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and without greater joy to the only God our Savior be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. That's the book of Jude, church. That's what we do with it. We speak that as a church. So what do do we do with this book? I want to leave us with, with four things to contend for as we wrap up and move into a time of communion. If you have your notes, go ahead and get those ready. So number one, contend for your faith. That's what Jude said. Contend for your faith, but do it at the right standard. Contend for your relationship With Jesus. Contend for a sincere faith, not a Sunday morning faith, church. Contend for your faith in the morning, in your Bible time. Contend for your faith in your prayer life. Contend for your faith in your relationships with other people. When you leave here, contend for your faith this week. Number two. Contend for God's love to lead you. I'll explain this. Contend for God's love to lead you. Remember how in Jude 21, it said keep yourself in God's love? Pray for a spirit of love. Let God's love lead you. Let me say, I I know people that are difficult to love. (laughs) I hear some chuckles. You know people that are difficult to love. But we need to contend for God's love to lead us, to be filled with God's love to give to other people. These are some of the most difficult moments to walk in love. You know it. I see the smiles on your faces. Oh, do I really have to love them? Yes, you do. You really do. Because if we're gonna live at that higher standard, we've gotta do it by the book, church. You need to contend for God's love to lead you. Thirdly, contend for your purity. Men, women, children, there's a battle for your eyes right now. What you see on TV, what you see on your phones, what your children are seeing, there is a war over your thoughts, your eyes, your bodies. Church, we've got to stop lowering the standard on what we're putting in our bodies. What shows we're watching, what music we're listening to. Holy cow. There's a battle for our purity. There is a battle for our children's purity, church. Does that make you mad? It makes me really mad. We've got to wage war and say, no, our family, we are not going to play ball down here. We are not going to live at this standard. We've got to wage war against the enemy, church. Contend for your purity. Fathers, Protect your family. Mothers, protect your family. Protect your children. Makes me very angry. Okay, last one here. Contend for your purpose. The enemy loves to tell you you don't have a purpose. And that's a lie. You have a purpose. No matter how young you are, no matter how old you are, you have a purpose, you gotta fight it. You got to fight for it. If there's a breath in your lungs, there's still a purpose in your life. If you are here, you have purpose. Don't lose hope. Some of the greatest things we see around us today were from men and women who were in their 80s and could have said, I'm done. I'm retired. I'm done dreaming. I'm not, I'm not going to live for purpose. I'm going to sit in, uh, what's the game of life, if it Shady Oaks or something, in the board game game of life. I'm just going to kick my feet up on the beach, you know, or maybe I'm going to go roll the golf ball around the course a little. But look at Truett Cathy. Okay, I'll talk about Chick-fil-A, man. <laughs> Old age began to multiply, the very first Chick-fil-A there was. And you know what he said? This business is going to be closed on Sundays. Talk about setting the bar high, right? Sunday is the Lord's day. I don't care if we lose money. I don't care. Because Sunday is the Lord's day. We've got a higher standard here. And this company still has a standard of being closed on Sundays. And you know what, church? You know Chick-fil-A makes more money than McDonald's now? Did you know that? Crazy. That's the Lord's chicken, right? (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Amen. That's God's chicken. But you guys get what I'm saying. We're talking about a standard. A man that didn't compromise his standards. And look at him. Look at the company. Holy cow. Contend for purpose. Don't let anyone talk you out of it. Don't give in to the spirit of laziness. Church, I'm going to... I'm going to tell us we need to raise the standard on how we treat people. Raise the standard on how you treat your boss. Raise the standard on how you love your wife. Raise the standard on how you're parenting your kids. Raise the standard on how you're reading your Bible. Raise the standard on what you watch. Raise the standard on how you spend your time. Raise the standard on what you think about, what you spend your money on, and what everything. Raise your standard. Put away the complacent lifestyle. Begin to live with purpose. Look at those around you of, as children of God. It's frustrating being in the Walmart checkout line, isn't it? It's frustrating. But when we're frustrated at people that can't scan that spaghetti, you need to look at them as a child of God rather than somebody holding up the whole line. We need to raise the bar, show urgency to snatch people from the fire. Get the standard back up in your prayer life. Get the standard back up in your thought life. Get the standard back up on how you love people. When you start playing at a higher standard, you start realizing there's more inside of you than you think. This isn't in your notes. So we're going to go ahead and dim the lights a little bit and band, you can make your your way up here. We're going to transition into a a time of communion here. So the question for us to wrestle with as we move into a time of communion is this. Are you contending for your faith at the right standard? Or are you settling to lower the bar and lower your standards? Church, we see as, as a true follower of Jesus we shouldn't fit in with the ideals, the principles, the culture of the world. If you're a Christ follower today, are you right with God? Or have you lowered the standards? Lowered your integrity? If we're committed followers of Jesus, we need to live and love like he did. And what's going to happen is our differences are going to stand out. We're called to display Jesus' compassion, forgiveness, gentleness to all people. Not just the people that make us comfortable, church, but all people. We are to be different than the people of the world. Because we believe Jesus died as a sacrifice in our place. This is what communion's all about. We are different because he died and rose again and ascended to a heavenly throne. We are different because our sins have been taken away. Our shame has been replaced with hope and our selfish choices have been transformed into displays of grace. Amen. Because we, we know that our world hated and killed Jesus without cause. His body was pierced for our restoration to our creator. And his blood has removed the stain of sin for our hearts. And his sacrifice can unite every person in human history. That is what communion is about. We should never forget these truths. When we pause here in a few moments to to eat this bread and drink from this cup, remember Jesus' death was to fulfill his command. Do this in remembrance of me in Luke 22. Eat the bread to remember Jesus' body. Drink from the cup and give thanks for his sacrifice. Church, we also see in 1 Corinthians 1:28, 1, Paul says, But let a man examine himself and so let him and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. So we see that communion is for for Christ followers. If you have made that step and asked Jesus into your heart. And if you are a Christ follower today and you recognize that you have not been living at the right standards. Get right with God before you come up and take communion.